I know there's this um, ambassador. I think he's the ambassador for Cuba. Um, I refute the unfounded and slaughterous U.S. government sanctions against Army Corp. Growl, Mira, and India National Special Brigade. It should rather apply unto itself the Magnitsky Global Act for systemic repression and police brutality that took the lives of 1021 persons in 2020. Damn. Wow. Got him. The United States has no right, no desire, and no intention to impose our form of government on anyone else. No democracy can survive. When it's public life, it's public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. So we tell a handful of billionaires who become phenomenally richer, yeah, you're going to have to pay more in taxes. Yeah, okay, so um, last week we kind of talked about like what's going on right now in Cuba. And um, this week we thought we'd talk about it again because the protests are continuing and there have been a couple updates. Nick and I were just noting before we started recording this episode that like Joe Biden, our uh, fearless leader, actually went as far as to like continue the sanctions on cuba or was it is he like adding sanctions nick what's going on there yeah he's actually um adding sanctions on top of the 243 that trump um imposed during his his tenure these these are a little uh, these are a little different because they're not on goods they're on cuban officials but he's imposing these new sanctions and saying that this is quote just the beginning so really um pulling a trump it seems on on the issue of cuba instead of you know something like pulling on obama which would be trying to normalize relationship or normalize relations with them and do what the um literally all of the countries that the un except the u.s and israel (laughs) have have said to do for the 29th consecutive year which is lift the embargo, lift the sanctions. Uh, he's doing the opposite. Right, exactly. And like, what's interesting is I am looking at this article from the USA Today and they, the way that they phrase it is Biden's decision marks a shift from his promises during the campaign when he vowed to restore the Obama era thaw in US Cuba policy. And I just think that's interesting because- <laughs> They, they phrase it. Is as, that how they worded it? Yes, yes. Marks, marks a, shift a shift rather than he breaks his campaign promise. Exactly. Um, which I think um, <laughs> it reminds me of different. when. Yeah, it reminds me of when he can't how he campaigned on doing a public option, and then when yeah. he walked that back, and the media called it a graceful pivot. Yeah, we love that manufacturing consent (laughs) literally like how would they have responded if it was um i don't know bernie or or tulsi or someone changing doing something similar they would they would say um well you know you and i both know that they it it would be a matter of them saying um you know they're wishy-washy or they like can't you know settle on a platform but of course, when right. Joe Biden does it, you know, America's they're, inc- they're being inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's, it's, it's just it's really all ridiculous. in the framing. Well, it is all in the framing. And it's interesting to me because I think 
you know, how many companies there's like Viacom and like, I think maybe two others that control all of the media. And so to me, like that is kind of indicative. Like when we see this phrasing, like, oh, it's a little, it's a shift. It's just a little a switcheroo, um, like from, you know, here, here's what I plan to do is I plan to continue like loosening, I guess, these, these very strict economic sanctions that we have on Cuba to outright completely flipping that and being like, yeah, more, more sanctions, just like, just like Trump did. I think that the way that the media is portraying this, it really just speaks to, again, the fact that we are just bought and sold. And I'm not trying to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but you just have to look really carefully at the phrasing of some of this stuff because the media companies decide the way that it's presented and you know they kind of dictate not only what information we're being shown but how we're being shown it and I completely agree with you Nick I think that if it were Tulsi I think if it were even like you know John Delaney or any of those other 24 candidates that we had I think that it would have been presented a different way than if it wouldn't have been you know the Democratic Party favorite from the beginning Joe Biden Right. And, and, and yeah, I mean, there's nothing conspiratorial about it. I mean, Joe Biden, this guy who had a lot of corporate money behind him, he's, he's said out in the open, like, (laughs) this is how, you know, he's been in Washington forever. Like whenever he's asked about like campaign finance and how he's like taken money from corporate interests and other special interests, he's like, well, yeah, well, well, that's how it works. They give me money and then I, I do what they say. Like, what, what's the problem? But that's right. the thing. Like, they give him money and a lot of those corporations also own the media. So oh. you're seeing that, um, you're seeing that uh, relationship there. Absolutely. But- and I think it's interesting because when we, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think like, you know, we talk about, I think in this country, a lot of the times there's this narrative of like, um, North Korea, you don't even know how those people live. Like they, or China, like they, they can't even access certain websites. And it's like, don't get me wrong. I'm not defending the like Chinese, like the way that their media is like surveilled or the way that they can't access certain websites. I, I think that's despicable. But I think that in this country, I don't think it's a misstep to say that we do the same thing here, but more covertly so that you don't realize that what you're looking at is not only being monitored, but being tailored so that it is what these media companies want you to see. Exactly. It's, um, it's really funny. There's this, there's this Fox News headline back from like 2018. Iran spends billions on uh, weapons programs, terrorism, while ignoring Iranians' basic needs, report finds. And the, um, <laughs> the way it's always <laughs> quote tweeted is like, wow, imagine living in a country that would do such a thing. Right. No, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, I, I think that there's, you know, and you've heard, you and I have both heard it from um, what I will refer to here as like, I don't know, proud Americans. I was going to say Republicans, but that's not fair to like group them all like this. But like, um, very proud. yeah, like th- that are like, this is the greatest country on earth. We are so free. And it's like, you're not, you're just fed this idea that we're free. And you just are unaware of like the injustices that are surrounding or not even surrounding our nation, but are at the core 
of our nation and the way that it operates. But like, yeah, I think that that's a prime example. Like, you know, they invest so much in this weapons program while, you know, they're neglecting their needs. They have people that are hungry. They have people that are homeless. Turn around and take a look at the U.S., it's the exact same thing. And, you yeah. know, that article is trying to show, oh, what a despicable third world country and trying to make the viewer think, oh, it, I'm against Iran. But it's it's the same. You're living, in, exactly. you're living in the same situation, man. I saw a tweet today and I retweeted it. Let me find <laughs> it really quick. You you may have you you may have seen this. Oh, here it is. So this is from Sean P. McCarthy. Um, he's talking about the protests in Cuba. He's saying he says the Cuban people are yearning to experience the freedom of a ten thousand dollar ambulance bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought that's perfect. Exactly. And oh my god, it's just crazy. But like one thing that I had also read is that um, uh, Mexico which obviously has, you know, economics problems of its own. Mexico is sending, and this is according to Reuters, Mexico will send two Navy ships loaded with food and medical supplies to Cuba. And that's according to the foreign ministry of Mexico. And so I just, I find that really interesting because, (laughs) you know, we, we love to like lambast other countries and act like you know they're so they're so horrible they treat their people so terribly but i mean as you mentioned last week like when there was that un vote i think that the only people who were still against cuba in terms of um do you know what i'm referring to that un vote yeah so basically they voted to condemn the uh sanctions in cuba Oh, oh, no, they, they called on the U.S. to end uh, the Cuban embargo um, for the 29th consecutive year. The only countries to vote against were the U.S. and Israel. Right. And of course, we know or, you know, saying for the sake of our, our audience here, um, I would assume that the reason that Israel voted that way is because Israel is pretty much completely funded by the U.S. And so right. they know unless they side with the U.S., they will be in trouble. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't even, you know, give that much credibility to the fact that there were only two countries. It's basically the U.S. and its affiliate. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's what's happening. And there's um, and like we said before, Biden is is really, really just going more more hawkish when it, when it comes to this. And, and this doesn't and this doesn't make the U.S. look good. Like we I think we no. also have to ask ourselves from an international perspective, like what is the rest of the world thinking when they, they clear, they can clearly see what's happening. They can clearly see the devastation that these sanctions and this embargo is causing and has caused for decades. And again, that's not to absolve, you know, the Cuban government for the way that they've handled things. No, absolutely. You know, that's not. not to absolve them for, you know, not holding elections when they promised to and, and, you know, these sorts of authoritarian things. But again, you know, we've got to get our own house in order. And there's this, um, this other tweet from Bruno Rodriguez, who's the Minister of Foreign Affairs for Cuba. I refute the unfounded and slaughterous U.S. government sanctions against Army Corp. Lopez Miura and the National Special Brigade. It should, so he's talking about the new sanctions that are imposed on 
um, diplomats and other foreign officials. Mm-hmm. Um, it should rather apply unto itself, talking about the U.S., the Magnitsky Global Act for Systemic Repression and Police Brutality that took the lives of 1,021 persons in 2020. So that's the thing. Like, everyone knows, like, what the U.S. does, what the U- like, how the U.S. aligns itself with Saudi Arabia, you know, which makes it hypocritical when we say, oh, well, the reason we have to do these sanctions is because we we can't just sit by idly when we have this authoritarian Cuban government that's repressing its own people when we're allied with Saudi Arabia, when we're allied with Israel. So, and yeah, the the Magnitsky Act that he's referring to is basically what the U.S. does to justify going after human rights abusers, but as I just said, we're, we're allied with a lot of those human rights abusers yep. and do a lot of um, human rights violations ourselves. So oh, absolutely. That's another thing. We, we have to understand how this looks to the rest of the world and we're not going to be continue to be taken or we're not going to be taken seriously if we, if we don't get our own house in order. No, I completely agree with you. And I, I think that that's an excellent point is like considering the outlook on an international stage i think that the u.s continues to be seen as a you know superpower in the sense a superpower but not like in a good way like a marvel comic book character or something but a superpower as in like a super villain um and i i think that that's that's kind of like where we're at because we do, we have plenty of our own human rights abuses. I mean, Guantanamo Bay, anyone, but, um, you know, we, we just continue to act as though we can do no wrong. You know, we, we, it seems as though the U S is only out to strengthen the rich and powerful within our country and not really give a, a crap about anyone else or about, about the people like, living in our own country. And like you said, like we have to clean our own house first. One statement that I found interesting uh, from Joe Biden, (laughs) interesting is, is one way to put it, but he says, as we hold the Cuban regime accountable, our support for the Cuban people is unwavering. And we are making sure Cuban Americans are a vital partner in our efforts to provide relief to suffering people on the island. So there in that statement to me, like there's so much to unpack with that. And I, I'd like to start with the fact that he referred to Cuba as an island, which is kind of like a little a little bit at the end there. Like just to remind anyone who's listening that, you know, we are this great big country and this is just a little, you know, communist island. And like, let's be clear who is in control here. Um, I also think that the like, I'll go as far as to call it virtue signaling of, um, oh yeah, the cute, the Cuban Americans here, you know, that we stand with them, like just to be preemptively be like, this isn't like racist. This isn't colonialist at all. We stand with right. our, our Cuban Americans here in this country, but it very much is, it, it, it very much is, um, you know, if it's not racist, it's definitely colonialist. And sorry if I sound, you know, super social justice but there's something to be said for thinking that, you know, our greatest country on earth is just going to be responsible f- for the, you know, be the law and order of every other nation. You know, the little islands, we have to, we right. have to, we know what's best for them type of attitude. Does that make sense? Oh, oh, sure. I remember Trump. Um, 
he was talking about Hawaii because uh, mm-hmm. someone brought up something to do with Hawaii, and he was like, "Oh, the the island," you know, <laughs> as if yeah, as same if it's energy, like, same as energy. If it's like not a state, or it's less legitimate <laughs> than other states. I love. Um, can we just take a second? I love your Trump impression so much. It makes I, I didn't so even. Funny. I mean, I didn't even do it well in that one. The <laughs> island. Yeah. But to, but no, it's it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same idea of like, oh yeah, like or, that or when he over called, there. Yeah, or or when he called um Elizabeth Warren the Indian. Yeah. Oh gosh, gosh. And then the what a trip that thing. was. Oh yeah, good times. But yeah, um, another thing you said in there though was, you said, you know, while we stand against the Cuban government. We stand on un- unwavering with the people of Cuba. What did you say right after that? Because I want to get. I, um, get I mentioned part. that he also he said that he stood with the Cuban Americans. And I think that that is kind of virtue signally to make it seem as though, oh, yeah, like, you know, we're we're on the side of the Cuban people. It's the regime we're against. Right. Here's I I, I sort of looked at it from another lens. I, I think. I think that's a good way. That's one way of looking at it. But another way of looking at it might be, oh, I know that there's Cubans living in the United States who are obviously resentful towards the government. Yeah. And I'm going to like use that energy to justify cracking down Ooh. on the government mm-hmm. or, you know, I mean, with these sanctions, the people of Cuba even more. It reminds me of um, in 1996, there was the Cuban Adjustment Act, which allowed Cubans to become permanent residents of the United States for just being present in the United States for two, for two years. They could just automatically become citizens. And the whole idea was to basically like use them as leverage against mm. the Cuban government, you know, using so people I, as a tool. Yeah. It was kind of like how Kennedy used and I mean, it, it didn't work. It was a disaster, but how he used Cuban exiles to do the Bay of pigs. Yes. You know, Yes. So I'm getting. Uh, I don't want to say. I don't. I don't want to say Joe Biden's trying to do a, a Bay of Pigs part two, but I'm. I'm getting strong. Just those strong vibes from that statement. Wouldn't it be interesting if something like that happened and it was predicted right here on Nothing Left podcast? That would be amazing. <laughs> I. I mean, don't get me wrong. I. I hope that 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 doesn't happen. It's. Uh, this situation is just really incredible i think if you're looking at it from like a leftist perspective i think it's really incredible to witness i think if you're you know chewing and digesting what the corporate media will have you believe i think you know you you don't know which ways up and which ways down yeah it's um yeah it's hard i mean if you're just listening to this on cnn or msnbc i mean yeah you're gonna get you're gonna be getting a a very very different take than you'd be getting here absolutely Um, and it's 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 just so weird that a guy like biden like he was in pennsylvania in philadelphia a couple days ago giving a speech about voting about voting rights and and it was a good speech despite the fact that the democrats i don't think are being nearly as aggressive as they should be when it comes to this issue classic democrats yeah, but then he can turn around and, and do something like this. But yeah, um, voting rights, because that's also a super uh, prevalent topic right now as well. Um, we know about the uh, Texas Republicans who are 
trying to ram through two bills, one in the House, one in the Senate, that um, crack down on people's ability to vote. The one bill passed the Senate on uh, the House bill. They haven't had they haven't been able to vote on it yet because the Democrats actually left the state. So they're not giving the uh, they're not giving the House a quorum to actually do the vote. Mm, OK, I don't think that's going to work because eventually they're going to have to come back and, you know, it's going to come up for a vote. And even if they all vote against it, it's Texas. So it's 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 probably going to end up passing. Right. But when they do stuff like that, what the Democrats are doing in Texas is, you know, and I think that you and I are both aware of this, is that it's this showmanship politics of, well, look at what we did. You know, we worked so hard to keep this bill from getting passed that we refuse to, you know, allow a quorum. And it's one of those things that they can take back to their Democrat constituents in, you know, Austin and, you know, the other like Democratic areas in Texas and say, like, look what we did. And then people will be like, ah, the Democrats are fighting for us when in reality, nothing is actually achieved. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at some of the things in the uh, in this bill in Texas, um, it does a lot of things that the, the Georgia voting voting bill did too. Um, so doing things like uh, new identification requirements for voting by mail, prohibiting local election officials from sending a vote by mail application to someone who hasn't requested one. It also bans drive-through voting and it's an extended hours for early voting, which was um, super popular because of the pandemic, right? which mostly used by Houston officials during, during the pandemic. So Houston is an area, Harris County, that's a heavily democratic area. A lot of people of color, a lot of people who vote democratic. So mm-hmm. naturally they're trying to crank down on it. It's funny too, because if you look at um, districts are drawn, if you want to talk about gerrymandering, look at um, Dan Crenshaw's district because it's like Houston, but it's like all around. So he's like leaving out all of the democratic spots wow. so, that, so that it's actually a Republican district. But yeah, we're seeing a lot of these I would call them voter restriction bills that are popping up oh, yeah. um, in Texas, in in Georgia, just making it harder for people to vote, getting rid of um, some of the things that help people to get to vote, stricter voter ID requirements. And I mean, it's really reminiscent of things like things like, um, you know, the grandfather clause. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. After 1870, when the 15th Amendment was adopted. Um, and they said, well, you know, if you had a grandfather that didn't vote, you can't vote or literacy tests or poll taxes, the, all of these things that like weren't explicitly racist, but yeah. everyone knew what the implication was. Um, we're seeing more examples of it here. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Because I think and, you know, people, I think that common, you know, dialogue around these type of voting rights uh, laws, like oh, well, what's wrong with like having to have like, you know, a driver's license to have to vote is like, you know, again, in these urban areas where there tend to be more people of color, people don't need a driver's license because they get around using public transportation or they walk. And so that is one way that these can be restrictive. And I also think, you know, if you consider, again, people living in poverty who have to and you know living in urban areas who are working you know so many jobs they don't get election day off they don't you know they might be working a 12-hour shift they might be working probably more than one job in a day 
they don't have the it's not a high priority to take the time to make it to the poll between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. So, yeah, these options like the drive through voting booth, having someone mail you a ballot without you even having to request one, those absolutely drive up the numbers of people who vote. And the thing about it is like it doesn't to me, it's like it's not even the issue of like, oh, they're trying to stop Democrats from voting, but it's that they're trying to stop voting in general, which to me is an issue more based on the principle of how undemocratic that is. In a democracy, we should encourage as much voting as possible, and we should be making it easier for everyone to vote, regardless of their affiliation. And I think when it comes to laws like this, yeah, you know, I, I think obviously like they they stop Democrats from voting. They're obviously racist or, you know, I think based on the information that we presented, you can draw the distinction that they're racist. But even beyond that, they are restricting people's access to their basic human right to determine who should be leading their nation. And that's, you know, right. a primary issue that I think should surpass partisan affiliation. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is the Republicans do better when less people vote, you know. That's yeah. what gives them What's up with a that? that <laughs> yeah, if, if, if it actually helps you when less people vote, you would think that you would try to change your message or try to try yeah. to get more people to come out for you. But that is something that does give them an advantage with like the Electoral College or, or with the Senate, you know, how they're technically given more representation. Absolutely. Because um, it's, it's two senators per state and you've got states like Wyoming and South Dakota, which have, you know, two people not, no living people. in them. <laughs> but, it's like you're, not- you're like the one person, you're one of the two people in Wyoming that makes you a senator. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, but take, well, no, take Wyoming, for example, they have like 800,000 people. Okay. They have two senators. California has what, what is it like 44 million people? And they have two senators, something like that. So that gives the Republicans a strategic advantage in that sense. And for any, anyone who has any pretensions about the fact that like, this isn't racist or the intent of it isn't racist. Alabama was one of the first states to do this back in uh, 2015, I believe. That's the thing is like, it's, it's one of these things where when you get into a conversation about it with someone like a conservative or a Republican, I think that they're very quick to be like, oh, it's not racist. It's not racist. It's about voter security. But I think that when you have evidence presented like that, it becomes harder and harder for them to make it about, oh, well, we don't want dead people to vote. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's very like if, if you're just if you're kind of looking at it from a distance, that kind of is like your natural response. Well, I get, well it's an ID. Get, get the ID. Right. But when you see like, OK, they're they're doing the voter ID law, then they're removing the people's ability to get an ID and you see the racial component to that, then I think it makes it it go you're able to make the connection a lot better. And I mean, I would say like, okay, if you want to require a state issued ID or a license, um, okay, make then sure give that everyone, everyone can get one. one. Yeah. yeah, mail it to them. I mean, the yep. state mails stuff to people all the time. It would not mm-hmm. be a, a, a struggle to make that happen. And in terms of these new voter IDs, in the requirements in, like if you look at a state like Georgia, here's what it says on 
IDs. Um, so an eligible voter must present his or her Georgia li driver's license or identification card issued, and they have to provide their name, address, and the number of the driver's license or ID card. That's actually even stricter than Michigan, because Michigan technically has a voter ID requirement, but you can use like different forms of ID. Yeah, or you can even sign an affidavit. You can use a student ID. Yeah, you can sign yeah, and you can you can do that with this, but you have to like provide the number later, later on sometime. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, there are states in the United States that don't have voter ID requirements. Like you can you can use an electric bill, you can use a library card to prove your identification, and they don't have like there's not this like insane problem of voter fraud, right? Like, like nobody is willing to risk the fines and the prison time that comes along with like voting or, or impersonating someone when voting like like nobody is doing that and no. they know that like and all these governors just... when they when they announce these new voting restrictions they're like oh we just had the most um, secure election of our lifetimes and that's why we're doing that it's like wait what right it's all just propaganda and that's the thing nick i think you made a really excellent point when you said that you know if we contrasted the states with strict uh, voting requirements and states without them, we would see higher incidence of voter fraud in the states without these requirements. But that is not the case. And I feel like, you know, of course, we're not hearing about that. We're just hearing about, oh, well, we want to, again, stop dead people from voting. We want to stop caravans of people coming what across dead people. Yeah. borders yeah. Where, where is the caravan? Where, where are all the dead people who are voting? Right. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's it's crazy. So HR1, the For the People Act, hopefully we can uh, get that passed. Hopefully we can continue to uh, put pressure on members of Congress and Democrats at the state level, uh, specifically where these things are happening, um, to really push back against these, these voter suppression bills in a um, much more aggressive way. But until then, it appears that we have nothing left.